Welcome to the 176th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at college football, Major League Baseball, and the NFL. So let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in NCAA football, where Patrick went 4-0 with his weekend predictions. In the NFL, Patrick went 2-2 and and... In his first weekend of NBA predictions for this season, he went two and two as well, bringing him to a combined record of eight and four. That makes Patrick 504 and 347 overall, a 59.2% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, the predictions for the start of the NBA were a little bit unpredictable in in many ways because not sure how teams are going to come out looking at the beginning of the season. Uh, you had the Nuggets playing their first game of the season looking for revenge, and then you had the Warriors who had already played a game, so wasn't really sure how that one was going to go down and didn't really know who to pick because I think those teams are pretty even now that Jamal Murray has come back, although I think the Warriors are very easily the favorites to win it all this year. Uh, but, you know, Nuggets got that game, so I got that one wrong, and then uh, I thought that the Clippers would come out and play very well in their first three games now that they uh, have Kawhi Leonard back, but it looks like they're taking their time to gel together as a roster. Um, and the Suns already with more of a uh, completed product already, not really changing that many pieces, uh, that many significant pieces from last season. So they came out, uh, they were able to beat the Clippers, and those were the two losses. And the Mavericks just destroyed the Grizzlies. Uh, they kind of had the same situation as the Suns, where, well, first of all, they're the better team than the Grizzlies, but also they've already had their pieces in place. And the only thing they've done is just add Tim Hardaway back from that injury that he had last season. Uh, and of course, they also lost Jalen Brunson, but uh, they added Christian Wood. So I think overall, they're actually a better team this year than they were last year. Um, and then the Celtics were able to beat the Heat, who uh, the Celtics have come out and looked pretty good with uh, without Ime Udoka uh, as their coach to start the season. And he won't be for the rest of the season and maybe not going forward, although we don't still know exactly what's going to happen with that situation. Uh, but overall, felt OK with the NBA predictions. Uh, still learning a lot more about these teams, so I'll continue to try to be better in the future. And then we have the NFL predictions where I went two and two. Uh, the Jets beat the Broncos. That was a loss of mine, although I did not know that Russell Wilson was not playing at the time that I predicted, um, and I was assuming that he would play. So obviously would have picked the Jets if that if that was uh, known information at the time. Uh, but the one I wouldn't have changed no matter what is the Seahawks beating the Chargers. Uh, 37 to 23. I definitely was not going to pick the Seahawks in that game. Uh, but the Chargers, they just look horrible on defense, to be quite honest. Um, and this game was a pretty big showing of that. I mean, they they let Kenneth Walker run all over them. They let Geno Smith be very effective through the air. Just overall couldn't stop anything that the Seahawks were doing. But to move on to the most positive in college football, 4-0 predicted Clemson right, even though they threw away the game from the start uh, and then had to claw their way back against Syracuse. Oklahoma State beat Texas despite also throwing the game away at the beginning um, and squandering many opportunities to score, but eventually they were able to pull it out. Oregon just kept answering every score that UCLA had for them and, and answered it back maybe with two touchdowns every once in a while. So they were able to kind of not necessarily dominate that game, but control the game and keep it well within uh, pace that they like to play at, and their offense was very, very good. Uh, and then TCU beat Kansas State. Uh, that was reliant on Adrian Martinez being out of the game uh, or getting knocked out of the game, I believe, uh, for Kansas State, their starting quarterback. 
and then TCU just uh, churning away, getting a bunch of turnovers and just chipping away at the lead until they took the lead themselves and never looked back. So uh, overall, still a good week of predictions. Definitely happy with how my college football predictions are going uh, and hope to repeat the same performance next week with a little bit of improvement in the NFL and the NBA. And well, we're going to talk about a lot of those college football games as we move to our weekly look back uh, at week eight action NCAA football. But of course, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website, fourth and 24.com on Thursday. So Patrick, let's dive in a little deeper into some of those NCAA games, starting with the best weeks, best games of week eight. Well, I already mentioned all three of these games that are going to be here. We have Clemson, Syracuse, TCU, Kansas state and Oklahoma state, Texas. I uh, kind of gave a summary too, as well of uh, what was the action that happened in those games, but Clemson was, uh, able to come back, uh, score 14, sorry, score 17 points in the fourth quarter, uh, unanswered. And Syracuse was blanked in the entire second half. They were up 21 to 10 at the half, but lost 27 to 21. So obviously didn't do anything, uh, in all of the second half, very good result for Clemson. And, uh, obviously you are very satisfied if you are a Clemson fan with how they played in the second half. Uh, then you have TCU who they were also down at the half. They were down 28 to 17. So same margin, but different score. Uh, but they were able to also generate a comeback, scoring 21 unanswered in the second half, uh, as Kansas State was also blanked for the entire second half and was not able to muster up a point. And then Texas broke the trend of these teams not scoring at all in the second half, although they only kicked one field goal. Uh, Oklahoma State missed a field goal going into the half uh, to try to make it, well, it was uh, it was 31 to, to 24, and that would have made it uh, 31 to 27, obviously. And then that missed field goal you thought might come back to bite them when this game was still tied uh, late after Oklahoma State had scored an, another touchdown. But they were able to get the ball back, stop Texas again, uh, and score another touchdown to take the lead uh, and wouldn't look back from there. So uh, for 17 points unanswered for Oklahoma State as well because Texas actually did strike first in that second half. Uh, so overall, very happy with how Oklahoma State played. Okay, any uh, big upsets from last weekend? Well, the big upset was that LSU beat Ole Miss. Uh, even though LSU was actually technically favored, um, I think a lot of people that weren't the odds makers themselves definitely did not think that that line was set correctly um, and definitely thought Ole Miss should be favored. There were a lot of tweets after Ole Miss was already up 14-3 to after the end of the first quarter that uh, it was a horrible line. But then the trend of the week Ole Miss did not score in the second half, and LSU used 28 unanswered points to take a 45-20 to 20 lead and win the game over Ole Miss. Okay. Uh, yeah, a lot of comeback wins, and a lot of teams, I guess, uh, defensive coordinators making some good second-half adjustments there in the locker room. Let's move on to your most impressive teams of Week 8 in NCAA action. Uh, I'm giving the first one to Oregon because of that win over UCLA. They played very well. I talked about their offensive performance in that game. Uh, they were they scored 28 points in the second quarter, which I think is all you need to know about this game. They were just unstoppable uh, at certain times. And uh, that 28 points was pretty much enough. I mean, they scored one field goal in the first quarter, uh, a touchdown in the third, touchdown in the fourth, and that was just enough. Uh, they were up 31-13 at the half. So I guess maybe I was wrong saying that they didn't dominate the game because UCLA did only outscore them in the second half. But you know, I, I, it was even enough that I wouldn't really call it a dominant victory for Oregon, but still a good win nonetheless. Um, and then you have number 16, Penn State, who beat Minnesota 45 to 17. Not necessarily impressed at the win. I think it was pretty obvious that they were going to get the win. 
Um, and definitely not impressed really with their defense still giving up 17 to Minnesota with a backup quarterback playing. However, Penn State did give up uh, a ton of rushing yards to Michigan uh, when Michigan played them two weekends ago. And a lot of people just said that that meant the Penn State's run defense was bad. But Minnesota really didn't get anything going on the ground in this game. So it's pretty clear that uh, that was more of a good Michigan situation than a bad Penn State situation. But uh, also, at the same time, Minnesota with a very, uh, I mean, granted, you can key on the run a little bit more when the quarterback isn't as effective and is a backup quarterback and obviously isn't accustomed to playing in environments such as uh, such as Penn State uh, in a whiteout nonetheless. But um, I'm still impressed with how their run defense played against a against not a better running running attack than Michigan, but one that's on par with some of the best in the country. They held up pretty well in that game. So I'll, I'll give some props to Penn State for that and also for after an incredibly dysfunctional uh, offensive performance against Michigan, striking back and scoring 45 points. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get a little more better measuring stick of Penn State at home against Ohio State uh, this coming up weekend. All right, what about the best road wins of NCAA Week 8 action? Well, there was just like the upsets, there weren't really many road wins. So uh, I'm going with number 21, Cincinnati, who beat SMU 29 to 27. This was almost another comeback. Uh, SMU scoring 13 in the fourth unanswered. I believe they went for two uh, to try to tie the game and did not get it. Uh, but it, Cincinnati started off to, uh, up 10 to nothing after the first quarter, uh, up 20 to 14, and then up 29 to 14. And obviously SMU roared back in the fourth quarter, but were unable to tie the game and uh, get the win on the, uh, at home over Cincinnati. That would have been a ranked upset as well. All right. Any other quick takes from other games across college football week eight action? Well, there were a lot of big teams on bye weeks and uh, outside of those three best games, which were the games I picked. Um, and then also the Oregon game, nothing really that important happened this weekend. Uh, a lot of people are saying that the PAC 12 took themselves out of playoff contention because of the fact that now every team in the conference has one loss. And I think there is some merit to that because uh, it's hard to see after how bad the PAC 12 has been, not necessarily overall, but in terms of uh, making the playoff and having the top teams in the country, because um, they've had some good ones, but normally just two or three good ones rather than one great one. Uh, but look, there are a lot of people who think that they're out of playoff contention because of the fact that with that stigma and the fact that the best they're going to do is having a one loss team that lost by 40 to another potential playoff team, if not a playoff team, then a team that's uh, the first team out of the playoff. Um, and a lot of people think that because of that, there's just no way that any of those teams make it in because if Tennessee beats Georgia, then Tennessee is pretty much locked in and Georgia still has to be above Oregon because, you know, they beat them by 45. Um, so there's a lot of discussion there. I really don't think that they're entirely locked out of it yet. There are definitely scenarios where a Pac-12 team can make the playoff. Um, but resting your hope on Oregon isn't the greatest thing. The best thing for the conference would have been for UCLA to go on the road. Uh, and get that upset win over Oregon because they still have USC on their schedule in the final week of the season. And they also already have the win over Utah and they would have another top 10 ranked win on the road over Oregon. So those would be two quality wins and that schedule would actually hold up and they don't have that embarrassing loss in their resume, but uh, we'll see what happens with Oregon. Uh, next week is going to be more important. We're going to see that Penn state, Ohio state matchup, like you said, uh, and there are a few other matchups that, might make a little more uh, determinations towards playoff contenders uh, next week after some of these teams are off of bye week finally. 
Okay, well, that wraps up our look at college football for the week. Let's turn our attention to Major League Baseball, specifically the championship series, and we will start in the American League. Well, the Astros swept the Yankees. Um, they have not lost a game in this postseason. And uh, frankly, I don't know if I expect them to at all at this point, and we'll talk about the reasons why in a second. But they won game one, four to two at home. They won game three. They won game two, sorry, three to two uh, at home. And then they went on the road to the Bronx and won game three, five to nothing, and won game four, six to five. So the thing that I have with the Astros is just that their offense is in- incredibly consistent. Every single game in the series, they got exactly what they need. Game three, they obviously poured on some more uh, as they won by five, but they're not afraid to play in close games. And it always seems like they're the team that comes out on top. They have the experience, they have the clutch hitting, and they're the ones who will always end up coming up with the hit when they need it. Granted, against Seattle, it did take 18 innings in one game for them to get that one run uh, that won them the game in the 18th inning. But at the same time, there was the game where they were down earlier in that series, I believe four to one after like the second inning and uh, in the Verlander start. And then Jordan Alvarez came back and hit that three-run walk-off home run when they were down two. So, I mean, they 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 found a variety of ways to win so far, and there's just been nothing to stop them. And the thing is, the way that the roster is constructed, it's not as though the way they've been getting wins is really abnormal for them. It actually just makes sense that Jordan Alvarez is going on a tear because he has been the best. He's been one of the best hitters uh, in the league all year long. He was pretty much just right beside Aaron Judge, at least for the first half of the season, honestly, um, in the MVP conversation until he got injured for a little bit. And then Judge really took off and obviously eventually ended up with so many home runs that he just put everybody behind him in the dust uh, other than Otani. But look, they they just have a great makeup of their roster. Obviously, the pitching is also the biggest strength there. They have a great bullpen. And alongside that, they have Justin Verlander as that one solid ace. And all throughout their pitching staff, they have six starting pitchers who would be at least two or three starters on pretty much every other team, including some of the playoff teams. Um, but th- they're just made to win. And especially in the postseason, they have the pitching to do it and their hitters. It's not like they have pitching at, at the expense of having bad hitters. It's the opposite. They're just good on both sides. They have very good pitching, very good bullpen, very good hitting, and especially good clutch hitting. And uh, all the guys that have come back from injury, Bregman, uh, has been on a tear for the second half of the season. Alvarez has been going all season long. And then Yuli Gurriel has turned out with an amazing postseason. And all of a sudden, you have those three plus Altuve, who hasn't really gotten in a stride yet. And that's the thing. He had the longest Ofer streak to start a postseason since 1968, and they still hadn't lost a game. So they can still get better. And they they, they actually kind of remind me of uh, Ohio State and college football, where Jackson Smith and Jigba has like barely played at all. And they still have the number one scoring offense other than Tennessee. So it's like, this team can only get better from here and the Astros really actually can only get better. And that's the scary thing for me when they're playing the Phillies. Uh, But speaking of the Phillies, we should move on to the NLCS. Uh, The NLCS, the Phillies beat the Padres in five games. Phillies won game one, two to nothing. Uh, The Padres stormed back one game, two, eight to five, uh, those two games at home. But then the Phillies ended the series in front of their home fans, winning game three, four and five, uh, four to two, 10 to six, and then four to three. The, the Phillies offense is just relentless. I don't think that the Astros pitching is going to shut them down. My confidence in the Astros winning the series uh, is just that I believe that their pitching can do enough to mitigate what the Phillies do. Um, and because of that, I, I do believe 
that the Phillies will probably pull out a game or two uh, and we'll get to those exact predictions in a second. Um, but look, the Phillies, their their pitching has kind of overachieved in how easily they kind of shut down the Padres with the exception of game two uh, and game four. But I, I don't see it continuing, to be quite honest, and that's where I go with the predictions. But I have to say, Bryce Harper has been the best hitter in the postseason, and you can easily make the argument right now, and I would probably side with you that he's the best hitter on the planet right now. Uh, Barton, there is bar none. I mean, we're not, even if you lump Mike Trout in there, obviously he's had the injuries in the past few seasons, but Bryce Harper is a two-time MVP, uh, and reigning for, and should have been last year as well. Obviously I think he was actually, but this year he could have been if he didn't get injured. Um, and you know, I, I don't really, frankly, I guess the MVP is, I, I guess it's kind of up in the air. I think it still go, is going to Goldschmidt, but he had a rough last two months of the season. And I think that if Bryce Harper wasn't injured during uh, kind of the latter half of the season, he probably would have won the MVP just with, if he was going to hit like he's been hitting in the postseason uh, over the last month and a half of the season, it would have been his award to lose at that point. Um, so I, I do think that he right now is the best hitter that there is. And uh, it'll be an interesting matchup to see who can carry their team more between Bryce Harper and Jordan Alvarez. But let's talk about that series. Let's go to our world series predictions. I have Houston winning in five. I am leaning towards saying Houston in six instead of in five, just because I kind of want that to happen. Cause I don't want this series to be a sweep. I don't want it to end early. I want to, you know, have some fun games in the world series. Um, but I, I really can imagine Houston, honestly, there will probably be a game in the series where both teams have kind of a pitching blow up, just like game four uh, in the series between the Phillies and the Padres, where it was 10 to six. And it's just going to be about who can win that game to see how long the series will last, in my opinion. And if the Astros are able to win that one game, if the Phillies offense kind of explodes and maybe get six or seven runs, if the Astros are able to surpass them in that game, it's possible the Phillies get swept. Um, and it, it, it's crazy to talk about, but the Astros truly might be on the verge of a perfect postseason. Yeah, well, I've got Houston in five and I wanted to for a little bit opposite of you. I wanted to say Houston in four but I don't think they're winning 12 games a row in the postseason. So maybe they've dodged a few bullets and won some games that they shouldn't have won, as you've mentioned before, with some crazy comebacks and long extra inning games, a double game. Maybe they maybe they haven't won 12 in a row. Maybe they tied one game in the 18-inning game, and then they won another nine-inning game. But Yeah, I mean, the Mariners, go... the Mariners probably should have taken them to five games, to be quite yeah, honest. Yeah, and... well, uh, yeah. So yeah. I'm going to go with Houston in five, say Philly finds a way to win a game. Um, but uh, I think, as unfortunately as Dodger fans, as we thought, uh, Houston – is just the dominant seat, dominant team um, in Major League Baseball, and they're going to march pretty easily to a World Series win. Anything else on Major League Baseball before we move to the NFL? Well, I would say it would be very interesting if the if the Phillies kind of took on this team of destiny type of uh, season and were able to complete it all the way through because there were many points in the season where originally we were saying the Phillies, uh, that offense is unstoppable. That might be the best offense in baseball. People were comparing them and the Dodgers and then comparing, you know, a lot of people were comparing the Dodgers saying they might be the best team of all time, et cetera, et cetera. But then there were points in the, in the season where obviously they fired Joe Girardi and it was like, this team is horrible. There was a time, there was a point in time where they were the second best team in the state of Pennsylvania. The Pirates had a better record than them at some point this season. And yet here they are all the way in the World Series after defeating the Braves uh, their NL East rivals and defeating the Cardinals, who maybe not as strong as the Braves, but you know we had three 100 win teams in the NL. Uh, they only had to play one of them, but they were able to look. The Padres took down two of them for the Phillies, did kind of the hard work, um, and the Phillies beat the one that was kind of the monkey off their back the whole season, or the monkey on their back the whole season, which 
that was the Braves. Um, and they they took that into their own hands. They won that matchup in the same way that the Padres were able to overcome the Dodgers uh, after uh, all that. And honestly, I will say, now that the season is over, originally I would say the Padres, um, they had a failure with how awfully they played uh, after the trade deadline. But now that they made it all the way to the NLCS, I think you can say that their model of actually trading for star players and being able and willing to sacrifice the farm to have a good season. I think it paid off because I really do think they did rejuvenate their fan base there. And uh, if you were watching those playoff games, San Diego was loving uh, that team. And I really do think that other teams should look at that in the future. And if they're close to contention, they should not try to bow their heads out and they should make sure to actually make their team better because you never know what can happen. Even a juggernaut team such as the Dodgers can be vulnerable if you're able to make enough additions. And that's exactly what the Padres have done over the past really two or three seasons uh, building up to this season obviously didn't end how it was supposed to for them. And also when you think about it, they got the literally the worst seed in the postseason, and they weren't able to uh, convert on that opportunity. So the doors opened up for them. They really opened the doors up for themselves though, by beating the Dodgers and the Mets, um, but they still weren't able to convert. So, you know, mixed feelings for the Padres, but I would still say overall uh, this season was a resounding success for them. Okay. Well, that wraps up our look at major league baseball. Let's turn our attention to the NFL which continued with week seven action. Patrick, what were the best games of week seven in the national football league? The Titans beat the Colts 19 to 10. This game went so poorly that the Colts are turning to Sam Ellinger at quarterback over Matt Ryan. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, I don't know what happened with that offense. I really going to be honest, have not watched many Colts games just because of the fact that they're one of the teams that has a good record or has an okay record, I should say but isn't really that fun to watch. So I don't tune in unless I, I won't say unless I have to, but unless I uh, really need to, although maybe that Thursday night football against the Broncos was actually an example of a game where you had to tune in because it was the only thing on. Um, but uh, it, the team just looks dysfunctional though on offense though. I mean, in the, in the spans of games that I've seen, they just look horrible on offense. I mean, it, I don't, I don't know if they look bad enough that, going away from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger, a, a completely unproven product is a good idea considering that they're also three, three and one and still definitely in the race. Uh, obviously I don't think they're going to win their division anymore because I think the Titans are actually two and zero against them already this season. So they already have the tiebreaker over them. But then if you take it that way, you can also say, look, they're Oh, and two against the Titans who are the best team in their division. They're three, one and one against not the Titans and they could easily just continue that and make it to the wild card and then just kind of see what happens. So, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this quarterback change. I get the need for a spark. Uh, I understand why they're making the change. I just don't know if I agree with it or not, but uh, I'll move on from that game. Talk about a team who's not going to change their quarterback uh, versus a team who did. Although I don't remember if it was based on injury or not, but the commanders turned to their savior uh, Taylor Heineke, who seems to always bail them out when they have bad quarterback play. Uh, and he was able to take down Aaron Rodgers and the Packers 23 to 21. Uh, obviously, team that's not going to make the quarterback change, the Green Bay Packers. But look, they have looked awful on offense as well this season. Frankly, if you're a fantasy player, you would know that every team this season looks horrible on offense, with maybe the exception of the Seahawks, which is the most random team in the world. But yes, they have a good offense this season. And then you know, the Lions had a good first four weeks, but uh, last two weeks have been awful for them. 
So really, I mean, offense is just kind of down over the league. It, it, it just in terms of the whole league, it just feels like this season. Um, and by the way, the Buccaneers are another team that's struggling. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, but a lot of good quarterbacks with a lot of bad numbers and just a lot of surprising teams that maybe don't have the best quarterbacks or great quarterback play. I mean, when you look at some of the best records in the league, uh, excluding the few games that Dak has played, you really have Cooper Rush, Zach Wilson, and Daniel Jones as the starting quarterbacks with some of the best teams in the league. Uh, Geno Smith took down Justin Herbert. I'll get to some of these games later, obviously, but just overall, the quarterbacks who are supposed to dominate the league, Brady, Rodgers, uh, other than Mahomes, I will say, because Mahomes has been doing just fine, and Josh Allen. Um, it's really just a band of random teams that has kind of come together to get to the top. And I'm not going to throw Jalen Hurts in that conversation because I actually believe that that team, the way it's constructed, should be 6-0 and or at least 5-1 and um, with their schedule. But they also had a bye week, so we won't be talking about them this week. But let's move on to the Giants. I was going to say let's move on to a bird, another bird team, but we'll skip. Uh, I'll skip over the Ravens for now. Let's go to the Giants. 23 to 17 was the score of their win over the Jaguars. The Jaguars on the final play of the game got to the, I believe they spotted Christian Kirk, I guess at the one or maybe at the one and a half ish um, on a third and 10 where he caught the ball. Uh, the play started with four seconds left uh, on the clock, but he was not able to get in the end zone. And obviously as a result, they were not able to win the game. Uh, bad result for the Giants, but at the, or sorry for the Jaguars, but at the same time, they're definitely still growing as a team. They're a very young team. Uh, as we saw later in the week, due to some other results and injuries around the league, they are not exactly trying to contend right now. Um, whereas the Giants have put together a great season under Brian Dable. Uh, it's almost like if you take the offensive coordinator from the best offense in the league, they become a good head coach. Who would think that if you let those guys play call, they might be better than, I don't know, the special teams coach of the Patriots. Anyway, I don't know what team did that. Oh, wait, it was also the Giants. Uh, but look, the Giants... Stop harping on the past, you can tell me. Uh, the Giants and the Jets are good at the expense of the Yankees at this point, and uh, the city of New York should be happy, I guess, because of their football teams. Maybe sad about their baseball team, but uh, let's move on to a city that probably is happy about both of those teams, Baltimore. Uh, they're happy with Lamar Jackson so far, I think. Maybe not after what he did against the Giants, but somewhat happy. They're content, let's say. Um, and the Ravens were able to beat the Browns 23 to 20. This was not a clean game at all. The Ravens could have played a lot better, but uh, the phrase that I would use to describe this game is just a win is a win. That is all I have on that. But the Ravens moving to four and three on the season, not great, not horrible either. They're still at the top of the division. The rest of the division is just not looking good. The Browns are two and five. Deshaun Watson is not going to be enough to take this team to the playoffs by the time that they dig themselves into as big of a hole as they're going to dig themselves into. Uh, they might be, I think he's suspended for 10 games. If he comes back in game 11, they're probably going to be three and seven, maybe four and six, best case scenario. And uh, if they're four and six, he's not He's not taking them to the playoffs. That's just too many losses already. They're not going to go undefeated when he comes back. Um, although maybe his suspension is even longer than that. It might even be 12 games now that I think about it. But I think regardless, the Browns are not going to be a playoff team. Uh, this is kind of going to be a lost year for them. Jacoby Brissett has just not been good enough and maybe they could have just kept Baker Mayfield until the suspension was over might have been a little bit of a better idea although the Panthers don't look so great either all right well let's move on to the most impressive teams from week seven well I've been jumping around to some of these teams a few times and uh, speaking of the Panthers I put them on the most impressive teams 21 to 3 uh, was their was the score of their victory over the Buccaneers 
I really think that this is the week that uh, has proven that maybe I should have just the least impressive teams category uh, instead of the most impressive teams, or maybe have both because I don't necessarily know if this was the Panthers defense shutting down Tom Brady or if the Buccaneers are just completely out of sync. Um, But I, I do have to say, I will just give the credit to the Panthers for now, because obviously the Buccaneers are more long-term proven product. Uh, This division is awful. So the Buccaneers are probably still on top of it with the three and four record. Cause I know the saints don't have a good record. Uh, The Falcons, I think might be tied at three and four with the Buccaneers for the lead in this division, which is, um, yeah, I'm Kai. I have no words about that. Honestly, it, it just, it is what it is. I really cannot describe how I feel about that. Uh, but the Panthers are one game away from leading the division with the tiebreaker over the Buccaneers right now, after trading away Christian McCaffrey to the 49ers. Uh, but let's, let's get off of one bad quarterback and move to the next. Well, Cooper Rush didn't play this week, actually. It was Dak Prescott, and uh, people are now calling for Cooper Rush to start again because Dak could only muster up 24 points against the Lions despite their defense turning over the Lions five times uh, in the game, which is very, very surprising. You think, I mean, look, the Cowboys had points off of turnovers on every, if they had a touchdown every single time the Lions turned turned the ball over and never scored on an organic drive, they would have scored 35 points. So clearly the Cowboys should have added on a lot more than they did. I mean, the Seahawks were able to put up 37 on the Chargers without even really benefiting that much from turnovers. They just kind of created all their offense. So I can see why Cowboys fans are a little bit mad that against the worst scoring defense in the league, they were only able to put up 24. I mean, we've seen Bailey Zappi torch the Lions before he would go on to have a good two series against the Bears last night, but then completely uh, kind of fall apart for the rest of the game. So I can see the frustrations uh, with Cowboys fans for sure in their offense, but at the same time, this isn't cause for panic. They're still five and two. Uh, the way the NFC is looking, they should be able to make the playoffs, I would say, pretty easily, um, especially with games against the Commanders uh, on their schedule. Although you can't say against uh, the Eagles and the Giants anymore because obviously those two teams have only combined to lose once this season. But definitely impressed with the Cowboys' defense still turning over the Lions five times, although maybe it was just a little bit of Jared Goff first four weeks of the season magic that had the lines looking good on offense and maybe they're actually just not that good at all, which wouldn't be very surprising. Um, but then you have the jets who won 16 to nine, but at what cost they lost Brees Hall for the season, rookie running back who was just amazing. I mean, the jets, I believe, I think I saw it on ESPN last night that the jets were first in yards per carry um, when he was on the field in 29th, when he was off the field. So clearly makes a difference in their running game. But they know that, and uh, the Jets being aggressive in their front office, literally within a day of Brees Hall going down, they have replaced him by trading for James Robinson from the Jaguars. This is what I was talking about where I'm saying the Jaguars aren't looking to contend necessarily, but the Jets definitely sending the message that they're here to stay. Uh, only other problem is that they lost Elijah Vera Tucker for the season as well. Another pick from the draft for them, uh, both actually first round picks, I believe. They actually traded up to get Vera Tucker uh, in the draft, but he was having a good season. Their line overall is doing a lot better than it has in the past. Uh, but Zach Wilson is 4-0, despite only throwing for one touchdown this season. And I was talking to you about this. I don't have the resources to find this out, but I'm sure it can be found out through some of those sports bureaus that exist out there. He has to be the first quarterback to be 4-0 and have just one passing touchdown, one rushing touchdown, and one receiving touchdown to start the season. That's insane because also... 
how does he have more other touchdowns than he has passing touchdowns? I don't know. The Jets have just been kind of an anomaly as in terms of how they've gotten to five and two, but you have to give them credit for getting there. And I was very impressed with how their defense was able to uh, kind of use the bend, don't break approach against the Broncos. Never gave up a touchdown, only gave up three field goals. Broncos also missed a field goal. Uh, Jets were able to come up with stops when they needed them the most, and that led them to their victory over the Broncos. And then finally, we have the Seahawks. I've said this a thousand times. I've talked about their offense. They won 37 to 23, uh, a very strong performance from that offense against a defense that was supposed to be better, um, obviously with Khalil Mack on the Chargers and uh, Bosa and, you know, J.C. Jackson, a lot of guys on that defense that are really good for the Chargers. Uh, but they just haven't looked that this season. They haven't looked a part of being a great defense. And uh, that's just, it is what it is. They have to deal with that. But the Seahawks up 14, or sorry, one by 14 over the Chargers. Uh, but J.C. Jackson also went down for the season for the Chargers. That's something that's not good for them at all, as their poor-looking defense is going to get even worse as the season goes on. All right. Any other quick takes from across NFL Week 7 action? Well, the 49ers offense looked great when uh, new arrival Christian McCaffrey was on the field. But beyond that, they were completely stagnant in their loss to Kansas City. They kept the game somewhat close at the half, but McCaffrey played only, I think, four snaps in the second half. And then their offense just kind of fell apart. And I really am not surprised. So, you know, you see some encouraging signs there for the 49ers that their offense could uh, get back to a high level with Kittle and Debo and uh, McCaffrey and, you know, now you have a very, very, I mean, they already had a very strong running game just off the back of their offensive line and Jeff Wilson and uh, Elijah Mitchell just being great running backs. But now you add Christian McCaffrey to that mix. Not only do you have a great running back, but you kind of have, you know, kind of a jack of all trades there. And, you know, maybe they they can stop running Debo so much uh, out of the backfield and just let McCaffrey run the ball. Um, that might be a positive thing for the 49ers for the rest of the season. And uh, they should be better on offense. And the way the Rams are looking, they could still very easily run away with this division. Um, although their biggest competition right now might actually be the Seahawks, but we'll see how the Rams look coming out of their bye week. Um, but for now, 49ers definitely showed some signs of improvement on offense, but just need to sustain it more and make sure that McCaffrey gets up to speed and is able to play all downs in the future. Okay. Well, that wraps up our look at the NFL. Uh, it also wraps up this edition of the fourth and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, November 3rd where we will recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look at Major League Baseball, this time the start of World Series playoff act, World Series action, and hopefully not the end of it, as you said. Uh, look back at the highlights from week nine of college football action and discuss week eight of the NFL. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including our weekly college football rankings uh, that were posted Monday. Patrick's preseason NCAA basketball tournament bracket that will be posted on Wednesday. And as always, Patrick's picks for next weekend's games, which will be posted on Thursday. All of that content on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.